Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Morning. Um, enjoying Psalm 23? It's a good chapter, isn't it? Don't forget there are the cards there. If you've already got one, you're allowed to take a second one. Because we're coming into the end of the series and I don't know what's going to happen to those when we finish. So please do take them. Um, Reckon you've learned it? Seven more days, seven more days. Should we start by saying it together? Uh, A good way of getting it into our consciousness is to say it. We've still got the words up. Rachel's doing the last one in the series next week, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but she might test you. You know what she's like. So shall we read Psalm 23 together before we begin this morning? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You could say that the two lines we're looking at this morning summarize the entire psalm. Rachel, earlier on before we started, referred to them as the lines that everybody mumbles through. I'm going to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And um, I would like to suggest to us that they, they actually summarize the entire psalm for us. You have a shepherd who leads us into green pastures, beside quiet waters, and who's with us in the darkest valley. He prepares a table for us and is with us in the presence of our enemies. I'd like to suggest that although we don't feel super comfortable about this line, it summarizes the entire psalm. Can you see that? And I I thought this morning... uh, we probably need some visual help because it's a little bit abstract, isn't it? Oh, I've got another tablecloth. My tablecloth's not actually long enough for two of these. And I thought about doing a shorter one, but the size of the table is important. So here we go. How do you fancy my chances of whipping this across both tables? Hi? Not if I'm standing on it, I can't. Second go? Close. Third time and then I'll get help. Because I'm a man, I've got to have three goes. Anybody like to help me? Sit down. 
what do you think this is? Anyone would like to help me with my table? I need some volunteers. I've got quite a few things. Ruben, I need your help. Jasper, yeah, great. Emily, you can help too if you like. Come on down. Someone grab the other end of this one for me. Quick, quick, quick. We've got to do a whole table. Stick it over the end for me, Jasper. Emily, do you want... No, Emily, you get the white one. Good stuff. Come on, Jasper, over the top. Ruben, you help Emily with the white one. Thank you very much. Teamwork is making the dream work. You put that on top. Lovely. Now, can I trust you guys with plates and not dropping them? Yeah. There are plates, so... <laughs> okay. Here you go. Here's some cups and some cutlery. Yeah? And here's some plates. This bread is for later. Please don't put it on the table yet. You make a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Good deal? You see, we don't really like talk of enemies, but we do quite like the talk of food. Why don't you uh, turn to someone near you and just pull a face as if there's an enemy near you. Do you want to help? These guys would love your help. Can we do, can we do both sides? So three on that side, three on this side. Do you want to help move them along, BB? In fact, why don't you get the cups and you can put the cups on it. Beautiful. Um, why don't you turn to the person next to you, do your best eating impression. Today we're doing eating and enemies. My title for this morning is Eating When Surrounded. Eating When Surrounded. We've seen that the Lord is our shepherd. We've seen that he's our companion. And now at the end of the psalm, we see he's our host. Hands up, who likes the idea of lunch with God? You game for some lunch with God? Sounds good. Um, talk of enemies makes us feel slightly more uncomfortable, doesn't it? What's going on with the enemies? Have we done our table? There's some chairs over there if you want to you really nail this. That'd be superb. Thank you so much. That's brilliant table setting. I'm going to move slightly forward because I like my um, calf muscles and don't want to get got by you. Lovely. Thank you. One at a time, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. That's an excellent idea. Thank you. Brilliant. If anyone works in health and safety, (laughs) you can pray for us. Um, We're very happy talking about dark valleys in our lives. We're quite happy about talking about when things go wrong, but when we talk about enemies, we get a little bit nervous. Partly because Jesus tells us, to love our enemies, and everyone's got value, and everyone's got dignity. We want to believe the best in people, but enemies. Anybody got an enemy? An arch nemesis? One or two some stories to tell, aren't they? Maybe maybe next time I do this talk, I'll get people to break into small groups and tell their stories. Guys, thank you so much. Give a round of applause for our table setters. Bravo. Where are you going to sit, Phoebe? What do you reckon? And that's fine. There are some people in our church who have fled war. There are some people in our church who have fled persecution, who know exactly what it is to flee your enemy. I've got a couple of sets of friends in Ukraine, one of whom regularly takes goods to the front line, to soldiers on the very front line. Another of whom is planting a church in a city, which is daily being bombed. So I heard from him this week, and he said, we finished our prayer meeting at this church plant in a new city, and uh, as we finished it, a bomb dropped 100 meters down the road. You go, oh. 
Maybe we don't know so much about enemies, but other people maybe know something about enemies. And let's think about this for a second. If Jesus says, love your enemies, what does that mean you've got? It's it's interesting, isn't it? What are we going to do about enemies? Let's spend a few minutes learning about enemies. By the end of this, you are going to know all about enemies. Does that sound okay? Wow, some people more enthusiastic than others. The Hebrew word for enemies literally means to cramp. Who reckons they can get in the smallest space? To cramp. So an enemy cramps you up. That's how it feels when you've got an enemy. You're squeezed up, you're squashed, you're deprived of something, you, your way is blocked, you're, you're limited. Someone's standing on you. Someone's trapped you. If you've got an enemy, they are cramping you. Ever felt like that in your life? Like you're being cramped by a situation, a circumstance, or by somebody else? I've got a video to help us understand what being cramped feels like. And let me just put this out there. If you're claustrophobic, this is definitely a moment to cover your eyes. I will have a prayer ministry team on standby for anyone traumatized by this 20 seconds of video. But I thought we need a visual representation of what it is to be cramped in our lives. Are you ready? Are you sure? Let's, let's have the video. So the reason I kept pushing is I thought it was going to get wider. But as I'm getting closer, I realize it's an illusion. The water was just so calm and still above me that it was reflecting the ceiling off and it just looked like a way bigger space. But it's continuing to narrow down. Um, I, it's been like an off and on raining type of day. If it floods at all, I'm done for. So I'm gonna attempt to turn back around. Even though I don't know if I can. I mean, he gets out because we've got the video, right? But I, I think I've seen enough, actually. I mean, I've watched the video a good number of times, and it still freaks me out. I don't, I don't get people like that. That is weird pastime. <laughs> Cramped. Enemies cramp you. That's what an enemy does. He was pretty much stuck between two levels of rock with some water at mouth level. Cramped by enemies. That's what enemies do. The second way to identify what we're understanding by enemies is to look at the life of the person who wrote it. So when we look at the Bible, we're trying to understand what it means. Often one of the things we start by doing is going, why is the author writing this? What's their experience? What are they trying to communicate? It's called authorial intent. Thank you. Include that in your essays at school and you'll get a bonus point. Anybody know who wrote Psalm 23? David. Anybody think of some stories from David's life that might involve enemies? Quite a few, right? Here you go, I've got a list. His own father dishonors him when the prophet Samuel comes to town and says, hey, gather your sons for me. He forgets about David. Leaves him out in the field. So he gets all of his sons for the big guest of honor, but forgets David. Next door, we find he goes to take some food to the front line in a war, and his brothers mock him. You can't fight, Goliath. You're tiny, you're puny. He does fight Goliath, and... Spoiler alert, wins. 
And then Saul, the king, becomes his mortal enemy, becomes jealous and tries to kill him on numerous occasions, physically attacking him. He's got an enemy. Through his life, we find he fights battles with numerous other tribes, the Amalekites, the Philistines, the Geshurites, and the Gezrites. Thank you. <laughs> Say those with your mouth full. They're trying to steal land from or things from his nation. At times, David stealing from them, but that's another preach. They're stealing from one another. He's betrayed by a different tribe, the Ziphites. Twice they tell King Saul where he's hiding so Saul can get him. When Saul dies, David should rightfully become king. That's what's happened with Samuel and other things. But Abner, who was the commander of Saul's army, schemes to make another person king in place of David. Ishbosheth steals David's rightful identity as king and becomes king of 11 of the 12 tribes. Steals his identity. Whilst king, David gives in to temptation that comes to him, commits awful crimes against Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. Twice people conspire against him and manage to turn people against him. His own son Absalom and another man afterwards both get proclaimed king by 11 of the 12 tribes whilst David's still actually the king. And on his deathbed, people are scheming and conspiring, literally over the top of his bed whilst he's dying about what will happen afterwards. In the moment they're supposed to be caring for him, he's being schemed against. David knew all about enemies. And his enemies look different to ours. But they do many of the same things. For the record, David knew quite a lot about friendship as well, but that's another talk as well. You see, our enemies might not look the same, but they do the same things. See, our enemies are when we're dishonored or mocked, physically attacked, as some of us will have been horrifically in this room, will have been stolen from, betrayed, schemed against. Ever had your identity stolen? You had one of those phone calls from people trying to give you your secret codes for your bank? I've had some of them. Try to steal my identity. Temptation. Anyone ever been tempted? Other people being turned against us. People failing to care for us because of their own selfishness. I reckon I've scored 10 out of 10. The scary thing is I reckon I've probably perpetrated quite a large number of the 10 as well. I've definitely had 10 done to me at different times in my life. I'm pretty sure I've been involved in most of them towards other people. Maybe we know more about enemies than we realize. Maybe we've got quite a lot of experience with enemies. Maybe you feel cramped by enemies like the ones we've just listed now. They cause you to feel small or trapped. Maybe you're living in fear or in regret Enemies like this mean that we are unable to trust and reluctant to love. As we read the line, in the presence of my enemies, it's real. And that's quite a big list and it's not comprehensive. I want to suggest we could summarize it in three ways. We've got enemies of our hands. They try and stop what we're doing. They want us to fail. They want to block our way. Maybe this is at work. You feel like people are just in your way trying to stop you doing what you're trying to do. Maybe it's in your ministry. 
You know, you're trying to reach out to your street and other people don't like it. We have enemies of our heart, people who are trying to distract us, things that are trying to distract us away from the right paths that God leads us on. They want to distract our hearts. What about enemies of our heads? Those that lie to us, that want to change the way we think, that want to deform and break our understanding of who we are and how we see the world. Friends, we know what it is to be in the presence of enemies. But the psalm doesn't just tell us we live in the presence of enemies. It tells us that he prepares a table before us. Eugene Peterson. David, this is the very last slide because I changed the order. Eugene Peterson beautifully puts it. In fact, uh, no, the next one? That one. It was reading this quote that made me realize we should do a series on Psalm 23. He says this, The contrast between a meal and a war could hardly be more extreme, but it is complementarity, not contradiction. They go together, they don't contradict each other, that we experience as we submit to the images. Salvation is the intimacy and festivity of the wedding feast. Salvation is aggressive battle and the defeat of evil. Salvation is neither of these things by itself. It is the two. The embrace of love and the assault on evil. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I'm not here this morning teaching you to identify your enemies so that we can ride out of here on our horses and destroy them. We've not got a basket of swords for you to take one as you leave for vanquishing your foe. Though that sounds kind of fun. (laughs) We're principally learning about enemies this morning because we want to stop them cramping us up. We want to overcome their opposition. When it comes to human enemies, the goal is not destroying them. Jesus said, love your enemies. Change the whole thing on its head. But there is an enemy that does need destroying, and I'm going to talk about it for about two minutes. See, the Bible talks about Satan talks about the accuser of God's people, the one who works against God, against purposes, and against his people. His life is trying to cramp the people of God. He wants us to stop using our hands. He wants to distract our hearts. He wants to pollute our heads. My friends, we love the idea of eating with God. But to become a Christian is to enter a battle. The New Testament tells us in 1 John 3 verse 8, which is on a slide, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 6, we read, For our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is an enemy that we fight, but friends, it isn't people. We live in a world that loves fighting people. But Jesus has modeled fighting an enemy of evil whilst loving people. I've got a quote from Teresa of Avila, if you've been here a while. You know I quite like my mate Teresa. I mainly like it for the first phrase. Not a fig shall I care. Not a fig shall I care then for all the devils in hell. It's they who will fear me. I don't understand these fears. Oh, the devil, the devil, we say. When we might be saying, God, God, and making the devil tremble. 
My friends, we don't come talking about enemies to scare people. We come talking about enemies to realize that we are not just sitting in a nice restaurant having dinner with God, but we've also entered a war. The people of God join in Jesus' work of destroying the devil's work. You get to fight. You're just not fighting people. You're fighting the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. When we encounter human enemies, the call is not their destruction, it's to love them. Because Jesus transforms people. Our aim is faithfulness to Jesus. He's the one who turned the other cheek. Who, though he was insulted, he never issued a cross word against someone. He taught his followers to love their enemies, but still overcame his own opposition. He was attacked, but didn't raise a sword. At the end of his life, Death, the greatest of human enemies, took hold of him, but even death could not hold him. He rose, defeating death. Death could not cramp him into a grave. Jesus broke free. Jesus is the one who shows us how to deal with enemies, completely uncompromising with evil, but overflowing with love and mercy to people. Tell you what, we've got something to learn, haven't we? This isn't a message today saying, be nice to people. This is a message that says, Jesus has won. And he is the reason that we can come sit at the table in the presence of our enemies. So often the list of things that we just put up happen because we live in a broken world amongst broken and hurting people. Jesus didn't crush broken and hurting people. He comforted them. We're not trying to destroy our enemies. We're trying to remain faithful to the path of Jesus. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We've got a table, a beautiful table, a table we are invited to sit at, and maybe I'll let you sit at it later if you so desire. In the presence of our enemies, the shepherd who provides, our companion in trouble, and our host who is present with us lays a table for us. Let me tell you, when you're surrounded by enemies, do you think having a table laid for you sounds like a great help? I mean, I've got quite a few things I'd like Jesus to do when I'm surrounded by enemies. A table being prepared is not high up the list, but come with me, and this is where your brains have to engage for a moment, because I'm going to send you to the person next to you to talk for a moment. Can you think of any times Jesus prepares a table for people? If you can't, it's totally fine. It's not like points. It's no prizes. If you've never really read the stories of Jesus, this isn't about showing off. But can we think of any stories? In, with the people next to us for a moment, I'll give you a minute or two to talk. you think of any occasions when Jesus prepares a table for people? Off you go. I've got a few obvious ones and a few quite tenuous ones. You're allowed tenuous ones too. That's okay. If it involves Jesus and food, I'll probably accept it. Should we shout some out? See who's, see who's got a story about Jesus preparing a table? You can put your hand up if you like, or you can just shout really loud. That's fine. Yes, Luca. The Last Supper. Very good. Jesus prepares a table for his disciples at the Last Supper. Yes. 
feeding the 5,000 prepares a table for them, feeds them their material need. Yes, any more stories of Jesus preparing a table? One down there? Zacchaeus, he's on my list too, prepares a table at Zacchaeus' house, but definitely, I'm with you, prepares a table for Zacchaeus. Any more? Yes. The resurrection breakfast I've got gives them out fish on the beach. And who did he go for a walk with after that breakfast? Peter. Any other tables that Jesus prepares? Emmaus, yes, thank you. After his resurrection, walks with some people on the road, explaining the scriptures, sit down, he breaks bread, and suddenly they realize it's Jesus. I've got two more. Not that I'm competitive. <laughs> the wedding at Cana. Good one. Yep. Prepares a table. Gets new, the best wine. Saves it till now. Yep. Feeding the 4,000. Yeah, I've not got that one on mine. Fair enough. Yeah, good, good. Very good, very good. Yes. We have had breakfast on the beach, but it is my favorite example, so well done. Miraculous catch of fish. I'll give it you, yeah? I've not got it either, but I think it's really good. I've got, I've got Matthew's friends. Calls Levi to follow him, and Levi calls all his tax collector and prostitute friends around for dinner. Let me tell you something about these stories. Having dinner with Jesus changes your life. Feeding of the 5,000, they're out in the middle of nowhere. There's no food. One boy has five loaves and two fish, and they all get a slap-up dinner with 12 baskets spare. The resurrected Jesus is cooking fish on the shoreline. Peter, who's denied him three times, jumps out of the boat to swim to him. And after they eat together, Jesus takes him for a walk and gently restores him. He's faced an enemy of heart, of mind, perhaps of hands. But by the end of that meal with Jesus, completely transformed. Matthew's friends sit with Jesus and are shown dignity and value and love like they've never experienced before. Dinner with Jesus, a meal with Jesus, changes your life. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus hosted a meal, had them all sitting round, and he took some bread. And he instituted something that we still do today, that Christians have done throughout history, to remember Jesus. He was about to go. The disciples didn't know if they would manage it, but he affirmed, I will always be with you. My body is about to be broken for you. So that you will always be with me. A dinner with Jesus changes everything. A meal with Jesus will change your life. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Who'd have thought that it's us that need transforming when we're surrounded by enemies? 
Yet there you go. Invited to the table of transformation when you're surrounded by enemies of your hands, your heart, and your head. Facing any enemies this morning? Difficult situation at work? Difficult situation in the home? Friendship troubles? Financial troubles? Temptation? The Lord prepares a table, and at the table we're transformed. What does it look like, let me finish, to sit at the table with Jesus? It's a little bit um, vague, isn't it? I mean, you literally, if you want to in a minute, you literally can come sit at the table and it might just change your life. But what does it mean to come sit at the table with Jesus? Obviously, these people who were with him that he prepared a table for, they, they sat and they had a meal and they spoke with him. What does it mean for us? Friends, you know the answers. It's prayer. Talking with God. It's reading the scriptures. Letting the truth of who God is feed us. Becoming familiar with his story so that we can find our place in it when times are good and when times are hard. I suggest to you that coming to the table with Jesus is things like resting even when you're surrounded by enemies or lots of work. There's something very powerful that resists being cramped by all that there is to do when you choose to take a day of rest. There's something very powerful about creating a space for silence and solitude in the middle of a noisy world that's demanding your attention. But it's utterly transformative. Because although it's silent, and although you're alone, you're not alone. What about joining in with the act of Jesus of preparing tables and acting hospitably? The act of preparing a table for someone is part of joining in with Jesus. When we act generously, we're joining in with what he's doing. Prepared a table for anyone recently? In the middle of their enemies? Of loneliness, separation, isolation, pain? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. A meal with Jesus changes your life. We're going to sing by way of response the new song we were taught at the beginning. So band, this is your moment if you want to get back on the stage. We're going to do two things by way of response, I think. The first is we're going to sing together. It's a song. Are you guys going to tell everyone about this? I'll let them tell you about it. And then as the song finishes, we'll probably close the time together, but I'm going to leave the table out. If you feel like you're surrounded by enemies this morning, there's something of a symbolic act of coming and sitting at the table. There's a whole load of bread. I haven't gone the whole hog with wine too, but you can break some of that bread and remind yourself of Jesus with you to take a moment to sit at the table that he's prepared for you, to embrace that transformation in life. If you're able, can you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us and then we'll worship together. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who prepares a table for us.
You've not left us alone to do it all for ourselves. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, that being surrounded by enemies is not something that happens to us because we've done something wrong. It's often what happens to us when we've done something right. And I pray for us this morning as we come, as we lift our voices, we join our voices, our bodies, our hearts, our minds, our souls in this song. Pray would you be with us, preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies, that we might be transformed and that evil might lose. In the name of Jesus. Amen.